Welcome to Week Conversations, a new video and podcast series bringing you insights with impact into energy, economics, and a changing world in the COVID-19 era. I'm your host, Dan Jurgen. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining today's Zero Week Conversation presented by IHS Market. Today's conversation will be about renewable natural gas and greening the gas grid. Joining me today are Tanya Peacock from Southern California Gas, Dr. Morgan Bazilian from the Colorado School of Mines, and Richard Meyer from the American Gas Association. And as I mentioned, today we'll be talking about renewable natural gas, what it is, how we plan on using it, and what should we be thinking about as we move forward with ambition plans to decarbonize our economies. So let's get right into it. Um, Morgan, what is renewable natural gas and why are people talking about it? Well, thanks for the question, Alex. L- let me start one piece uh, earlier than that, which is why are we having this conversation? And, and I think you, you mentioned it. Uh, the decarbonization agenda is, is a prime uh, impetus for discussing renewable natural gas. So it gives a framing to it. And you, you remember not long ago, the IEA came out the International Energy Agency came out with its golden age of gas books. And now the discussion has shifted somewhat. Um, and the same is for public figures like Mike Bloomberg, who in 2013 discussed gas, natural gas as potential benefit for decades. And then uh, just last year, talks about launching campaigns to move away from natural gas. So that gives some framing for why we're discussing natural gas. In general, renewable natural gas, we we discuss it uh, in two ways. One, through green hydrogen or hydrogen produced by, through electrolysis by renewable uh, electricity, renewable energy uh, sourced electricity from wind or solar, etc. And uh, the other side is biomethane. So uh, biomethane comes from cleaning biogas, which in turn comes from anaerobic digestion or uh, process like gasification. So that, that's the, the general picture. It, it becomes much more complex as you look uh, across the supply chain at links to the power system, at links to uh, other products like synthetic methane or um, ammonia, et cetera. So I'm sure we'll get into all of that, but that's, that's your general framing. Great. Thanks. Um, So so Tanya, Southern California Gas has ambitious plans for renewable natural gas as a pipeline uh, gas that you would feed. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about your goals and uh, what you intend to achieve by 2030? Sure, Alex. Thanks for that question. So our goal is to help homes and businesses decarbonize their energy usage by delivering 5% renewable natural gas by 2022 and 20% by 2030. So so what does that mean? So that means 5% of core throughput by 2022, that's about 16 to 17 billion cubic feet a year of gas. And 20% of core throughput is, and that's by 2030, and that's 64 to 68 billion cubic feet of gas a year. We've also applied for a voluntary RNG tariff and we hope to have approval for that soon. And so that would be an option for residential and small business customers to choose to buy additional RNG if they so desire to decarbonize their thermal energy usage. And 
we are also seeking a renewable gas standard to support development of the renewable gas industry and help decarbonize the grid. The idea is that this would be similar to how the RPS supported development of wind and solar resources. So we develop these plans because we're confident that the gas system can support decarbonization objectives and it and by and at the same time provide energy reliability and maintain energy affordability and so as states establish decarbonization or carbon neutrality goals and then develop policies and programs to achieve those goals we believe that a portfolio approach that includes clean electrons and clean molecules is going to be the key to success so okay. thank you for that question yeah, so, so renewable natural gas allows Californians to reduce their carbon intensity and they pay local farmers to install digesters or landfill gas uh, capture units and it reuses the pipeline infrastructure and it doesn't put additional load on the electricity grid. So these all seem like really good things. I, I assume that everyone's on board in California with, with renewable natural gas? Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? It seems like a win-win all around for the climate, for farmers, for utility ratepayers, for forests, for, for pretty much everyone. Because, you know, in addition to being a drop-in replacement for traditional gas, RNG also provides upstream benefits, you know, including reduction of short-lived climate pollutants. It reduces the organic waste that's sent to landfills that then produce methane. It can help reduce the burning of agricultural and forest waste. And just those are a few of the upstream benefits. And so you think it would be more popular than it is. And, and actually, when you're looking at California's major climate policies, all of those policies call for increased biomethane production and beneficial use. So you have the California Climate Change Scoping Plan, a short-lived climate pollutant reduction strategy, and the Forest Carbon Plan. So why isn't RNG as popular as you think it might be? And I will just go over the five concerns that I regularly hear, and then we could discuss those in more detail if you want. So the first one we hear is that RNG will delay the implementation of other decarbonization strategies, such as electrification. The second is that there's not enough RNG available to contribute to impactful carbon uh, reductions or to an impactful carbon uh, decarbonization strategy. Three, it's too expensive. Four, RNG programs will just encourage the generation of more waste. And five, increased utilization of RNG will just extend the life of the natural gas system because it will require a build out of mass, a massive build out of natural gas infrastructure. So those are the five concerns that I hear the most. And if you'd like, I, I could go into a little bit as to why. And, and I would say that those concerns are really based on a fundamental misunderstanding of RNG. And I would be happy to discuss some responses if you're interested. Uh, you know, absolutely. But um, I want to give Richard an opportunity. I happen to follow Richard on Twitter. and I've noticed a number of people have registered their concerns with him. So um, Richard, are these the same concerns that you've heard? Does it mirror what Tanya's saying? I have heard the same concerns. and. I, I think some may not have the right starting point. I think some are legitimate, require more study, more investigation. Let me get into that in just a second. Um, from Let me talk real quick about 
why AGA is in this space. American Gas Association, we represent the 200 local distribution companies that deliver natural gas to residential, commercial, and industrial end users across the country. AGA is committed to reducing greenhouse gas emissions uh, through smart innovation, new and modernized infrastructure, advanced technologies that maintain reliable, resilient, and affordable energy services for customers. AGA believes that gas infrastructure can and will be used for renewable energy storage and the delivery of renewable uh, gases derived from both biogenic sources and zero carbon electricity. And really that the gas system's ability to integrate these high value sources of energy like renewable gas, like methane, methanated hydrogen, like hydrogen, will be a critical component to meeting our nation's uh, ambitious uh, ability to meet our nation's greenhouse gas emissions reduction goals. With that as predicate, let's talk about some of those elements of, of cost, some of the availability. Uh, one thing that uh, AGA supports uh, through its American Gas Foundation uh, last year in December published a, a study on the resource potential for renewable natural gas in the United States, in the United States, examining those different production technologies. So that's anaerobic digestion, power to gas, both of which Morgan just referenced, as well as thermal gasification, taking uh, forest residue, for example, uh, and, and turning that into renewable methane. A lot of different strategies that you can utilize to develop renewable natural gas that is compatible with our nation's natural gas pipeline system today. Uh, this study did a deep dive into the availability of those resources, the costs associated with developing those resources and making projections out through 2040, uh, as well as the emissions reduction potential. There's probably more work to be done on that front since there's a lot of complications uh, in terms of how you calculate those emissions reductions and certain assumptions that go into that. But what we found, what the study found is that renewable natural gas is an abundant resource. Um, looking at an economic potential scenario with some fairly aggressive assumptions, uh, the future resource potential in 2040, uh, about equivalent to total residential natural gas demand today. So this is sizable. It's not the whole enchilada, but what it suggests is that renewable natural gas is a key tool in the toolbox uh, in terms of achieving ambitious greenhouse gas reduction goals. Uh, it, renewable natural gas also cost-effective, but cost-effective from the potential from the standpoint of reducing greenhouse gas emissions is a decarbonization strategy. And when you stack RNG as a potential resource to reduce emissions against other strategies, it very well may be cost-effective. It is more costly than natural gas today. Natural gas is abundant in the US, um, but as a decarbonization strategy, maybe quite cost-effective when you stack the different options up. Um, and so, and, and so the emissions reduction potential is significant as well when we're looking at the, just in terms of volumes of what could potentially be utilized as a substitute for geologic natural gas um, in certain sectors. We can go into more of those ideas in just a minute, but I think that there's a real growth opportunity here for an industry. I think there are real opportunities to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And quite uh, from my perspective, if we think creatively about leveraging the infrastructure we have in place today to meet our uh, emissions reduction goals, we can do it more quickly, more cost effectively than we would without gas infrastructure.
So, you know, I, I think the two real team themes that I want to pick up on here are are the cost and the environmental harm aspect or the extension of the life of uh, the gas industry. And um, so, so first about cost, um, you know, how much are we talking about? You know, natural gas right now is what, $2.50 per MMBTU on the Henry Hub? Well, how much is, how much is RNG going to set someone back? Um, Tanya or, or Richard? I'll take a first swing at this. The foundation report that I referenced does do that cost analysis and you could build up a supply curve. So, you know, the cost does increase as you move up the supply curve. Uh, we're talking, you know, in terms of initial volumes, which are substantial, maybe $10 for MMBTU, upwards of 20. It goes higher if, as you expand the, the, the opportunities, the different technologies that you might, you know, incorporate into that cost curve. Substantial volumes available around $22 for MMPTU. That is a significant premium to natural gas. But again, how are we? How does that? How do these renewable gas costs uh, stack up compared to other potential decarbonization strategies? Is what I would recommend the uh, the approach to think about as you're evaluating the cost of RNG. Uh, I could probably turn to others who. And, and let me add that this we did a regional assessment of these RNG potential and costs. But I think that there's a lot more work that can be done to really dive deep into what, you know, a state, a region, um, what those the real potential for RNG uh, and even hydrogen is, um, uh, you know, with some more, uh, uh, you know, reflecting those local considerations. Well, there's that. Go ahead, please, Tanya. I, I just wanted to jump in a little bit to follow up with some numbers on the um, the you know comparing the the cost of different carbon reduction strategies. So in this, the recent ICF report that was done for the American Gas Foundation, the, the, the cost per ton of CO2E reduction was, the range was about $55 a ton to $300 a ton, depending on the, um, the scenario. And you can compare that to a 60% renewable portfolio standard. And the numbers that were in the California Air Resources Board 2017 scoping plan, the range for those costs was about 250 to 450 a ton. So if you're looking at 55 to $300 a ton versus 250 to 450, it's a very positive cost comparison from a carbon reduction perspective. Absolutely. And I always think of carbon capture and sequestration as being like $100 a ton. So, so it, it costs a fair amount, but it's widely available. Um, but how do we get it from where it's made to where it is consumed responsibly? So let's, let's combine responsible natural gas with renewable natural gas. What is responsible natural gas? Morgan, could you give us a little bit of background on the other RNG and, and why is it related to renewable natural gas? Sure. And the other thing I've I would just add to that cost comparison discussion is that we, we're still on uh, early days on, on some of these technologies going mainstream. So not in the case of biomethane, which is established across Europe, say, but if you look at the other pathways, which uh, as I noted, include electrolysis from, from renewables, um, the costs there right now are, are, basically an order of magnitude higher than natural gas. So getting um, something like 24 US dollars per MMBTU natural gas from uh, uh, green hydrogen. 
and blue hydrogen is probably a little ahead of that right now. So just to give some other perspectives on the non-methane side. Um, and also just to say that those numbers are all um, difficult to compare. Uh, so I think your take on a little bit higher but uh, with benefits is the is the right way to do it. So on the other RNG, which is a an acronym that I'm not sure the industry or people are going to stay with, but on this this responsible natural gas side, that is um, quite a significant move in uh, the natural gas industry or parts of the natural gas industry to make a concerted effort to uh, um, look at supply chain um, emissions. Uh, across their supply chain from, from upstream through midstream to downstream. Emissions of say, methane is the one that gets the most attention, but also uh, volatile organic compounds, VOCs, um, and how they are measured and then dealt with. And there's, there's numerous new um, ways, methods to, to look at methane, uh, whether it's from satellites or continuous monitoring or from drones or from thermographic imaging, et cetera. That whole um, piece of the natural gas industry, which is becoming more and more sophisticated and more and more used, is aiming towards this responsible natural gas. In other words, natural gas without uh, unnecessary leakage of, of, of methane. In that conversation, you also have to move into subjects like uh, flaring and venting, um, which I don't think we're gonna get into too deeply in, in this conversation, but that's the, the other context for this. So if we look at scale, uh, the, the, I'm sure Richard has better numbers than I do, but on, on, on a set order of magnitude, it's about 4,000 BCM per year of natural gas and your biomethane, uh, as an example, is on the order of four BCM. So, so three orders of magnitude different. So just to give you the sense of scale that it's it's sort of difficult to discuss renewable natural gas, uh, both kinds, uh, from biomethane or from hydrogen, without discussing the wider market context, I think. Um, so a, a, a little bit on RNG there. Great. Great. So, you know, you threw out a lot of the, the BCF and BCM numbers. So, uh, you know, sorry. <laughs> that's all right. Tanya did too. I just wanted to give the audience a little bit of estimates or a little bit of context for this. So right now in the, in the transportation markets, there's something like 38, 40 BCF of uh, renewable natural gas, or at least in 2019. Um, so it would have to grow. It would have to at least double if it was going to meet Southern California gases 20 by 2030, I'm sorry, 30 by 2030 numbers. Um, uh, yeah, it was 20 by 30. And so um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about, you know, we have this 20% blending for uh, renewable natural gas into the pipelines for Southern California gas, uh, but there's still a lot of carbon associated with the other 80% and California has net zero goals by 2040. Um, so Tanya, does Southern California gas need to go beyond 20% RNG? Is, is this where we start thinking about hydrogen and other things like that? Absolutely. So this is where the conversation about hydrogen comes in because there are no real feedstock limits for producing renewable and low carbon hydrogen. Uh, you know, some of the methodologies already discussed, particularly electrolysis. And as that technology improves and the costs come down, there's definitely potential for scale and cost reductions on the hydrogen side. And from a gas 
utility perspective, we're very much looking at, you know, looking at blending hydrogen into our pipelines, hydrogen produced from renewable electricity. And so then you get multiple benefits. You get the decarbonization of the gas system, but you also allow the gas system to serve as long duration and seasonal storage. And you know, it's, it's basically limit, limitless in terms of the amount of energy you can store in the gas system and terawatt levels of electricity. So, and as we're increasing the amount of variable resources on the grid, long duration storage is gonna become increasingly important. So there was a recent Caltech study that was just published in Joule, and it found that long duration storage, and talking about 10 hours or longer, reduces the cost of an energy system based on wind, solar, and batteries. And so that's that vision of a portfolio approach and really bringing together these different resources to provide decarbonized energy. Um, and so, you know, hydrogen is an energy carrier. So it can either be stored in the pipeline and then put back on the grid, or it can be used to decarbonize other thermal end uses, such as transportation, industry, and buildings. And it's really starting to be looked at seriously around the world. California has a proceeding open at the Public Utilities Commission to develop hydrogen blending standards for gas utilities. Germany allows five to 10% injection today, and they're looking at a pilot that uh, will test up to 20%. French gas distributors came out with a statement last year, actually, supporting 6% hydrogen in the gas grid immediately and recommending 10% by 2030 and 20% beyond. So a, a lot of work being done on, on blending and then this idea of looking at how the, the gas grid can support the electric grid, how really the gas grid can support decarbonization and electrification. And uh, it's, it's starting to get even traction amongst some environmental groups like even Greenpeace and the Natural Resources Defense Council, who recently came out with some policy recommendations for hydrogen, uh, including a procurement mandate for gas utilities to blend a minimum and safe level of green hydrogen uh, into their systems. Oh, so. Really interesting. I really like the idea that you know, you're mixing jurisdictions where the gas utility and the electric utility are somewhat producing the same end product. Richard, the, the American Gas Association, I assume heretofore, had been you know, mostly driven by fossil gases, but uh, hydrogen kind of changes that paradigm. Uh, what is the association's thoughts on the increasing amount of hydrogen that people are talking about bringing to the fore and reusing the pipeline systems for it? Let me correct one thing in what you said. Uh, you know, HEA represents the local gas utilities that own and operate the pipelines that deliver natural gas. Um, HEA has been around for 100 years. The, these uh, utilities, before they delivered natural gas, delivered town gas. Uh, now, natural gas may be blended with renewable, renewable natural gas, maybe hydrogen in the future. This, this is an industry that is. It's, it's dynamic, maybe slowly dynamic, but it is dynamic. It has changed over time and you will see innovation from this industry. Uh, it is happening today. AGA is uh, very supportive of uh, its members and their exploration of opportunities to um, integrate hydrogen into the system. Uh, there are any number of issues you need to 
think through from an operational perspective on the pipelines themselves and you know, integrating hydrogen into pipelines and what does that do as it interacts with pipeline material. A lot of research has been done on these questions, probably more to be done. There's questions about end-use technologies. What happens depending on the type of burner tip application and what happens when you integrate hydrogen into that uh, and implications there to think through. Then there's the policy and regulatory aspects of all of this that need to be thought through. I also think that there's some real opportunity for creative thinking about how we think about renewable natural gas and hydrogen collectively and you know which sectors might see more opportunity or less depending on which fuel we're talking about. If we're talking about renewable methane, that is pipeline compatible. It makes a lot of sense, in fact, to use renewable natural gas in an existing pipeline or building application. If we're talking renewable hydrogen, could we see more of an emphasis on supporting power generation or large industrial users? Potentially, uh, or maybe not. I, I, again, I think that we are still in early stages of, 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 of pushing and pulling on some of these questions. Uh, all I see is real opportunity to leverage this system to meet our collective goals to serve customers with, with, with reliable, resilient energy. Uh, so, you know, a lot of open questions and uh, a wide open field for research and, and, and policy and regulatory engagement. Well, that sounds terrific for, for analysts like me. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap us up with a question for the panel. And I was curious, what what milestones do you see down the pike for further deployment, either of renewable natural gas or of um, of hydrogen themselves? So um, I started with Morgan. So I think I'm gonna give it to Richard for the for his first talk. In in terms of milestones, um, that's a great question. I. I'm going to have to punt a little bit and say we're thinking through that right now. I think that there's, um, we've talked about RNG. Uh, it is a supply side resource that could be integrated into a system. It's not the only way we, uh, it, and it is being talked about in the context of reducing emissions and in the context of waste management. We really haven't gotten into those issues, but there's a real value to thinking through how we you know, close the loop on some of these waste cycles from wastewater treatment, maybe um, from farm waste, where the loop is not closed today. And we, we should be thinking more about how that's a value as part of this process as well. But uh, RNG will be a part of a portfolio of solutions, which will include demand side measures, as well as other supply side measures to reduce emissions. Um, so that's that's my perspective. I, I, I can't articulate any milestones yet, but maybe if we have a conversation uh, a year from now, uh, I could add some more specificity to that. Oh, well, you just got yourself an invite. Uh, Tanya, can you go next? Sure. On the thinking, thinking about policy on a state level, very much a renewable gas standard is a priority, and that would be a huge milestone. Uh, production incentives. So, so then looking more broadly, um, you know, production incentives, decarbonization goals, uh, price on carbon emissions is absolutely key. And I could even throw out a national hydrogen strategy. It would be very exciting. That would be very exciting. All right, Morgan, the process of elimination leaves you. Yeah, thank you very much. It's very kind. I think, you know, we, we focused here um, uh, on the United States, which tends to be a, a rather parochial way to, to look at, at energy systems. And, and so uh, a couple of milestones are 
one, we should be looking to Europe for, for uh, on the green hydrogen side, uh, or even the blue hydrogen side on, on power to X. So Germany has uh, fairly mature programs on power to X, that, that's power to gas or uh, molecule, uh, electrons to molecules. And there are plenty of decent standards um, there for say hydrogen in uh, um, pipelines that we could look at. There's a, a vast amount of different regulations required even for the pipelines uh, space or even for the midstream spaces we go above 20 percent uh, hydrogen in those systems. You can also look to Europe for biomethane and biogas. Of course the markets are much more mature. They've been supported through various policies and regulations. We do not have to make this stuff up. There are reasonable policies and regulations that have gone through analysis by firms like IHS over the many years. Uh, and, and so I think there's quite a lot uh, we could look at there. Yes, we'll need some research and development um, funding uh, as well. I say that, of course, as a researcher, but um, you know, in, in areas from electrolysis to, to those, those midstream issues I discussed. Um, and some, as, 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 the, uh, as the colleague noted there, as Tanya noted, um, yeah, the, this has to be couched in a wider decarbonization framework or it's not going to go anywhere. Great. Well, that's terrific. I want to thank the panelists for, for joining us for today's conversation about renewable natural gas. Uh, just a little quick recap. Um, Currently, the costs are high compared to other forms of primary energy like natural gas. But uh, when we think about other decarbonization options, they seem uh, much more reasonable. Uh, renewable natural gas and hydrogen are available at scale. And really what we're looking for now are the emerging strategies to take us forward. So thank you very much for joining us, everyone. And uh, thank you again to the panel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to another Sierra Week conversation presented by IHS Market. For the complete video series and previous episodes, visit us online at sierraweek.com.